0: few minutes uh we'll look at the book of romans chapter one focusing in on verses five through seven romans chapter one if you'd like to go ahead and find your way there in your bible or or it's in the bible app um, and it's also on our website so whatever you're choosing to use romans chapter one verses five through seven i read a story this week about three men who were working on a stone pile at a construction site there was a curious passerby who was walking by, and he asked the first worker, what are you doing? He tersely replied, I'm chiseling stone. Hoping for a better answer, he asked the second worker, what are you doing? Bringing home a paycheck. Still wondering what was going on, he asked the third man, sir, what are you doing? The man dropped his sledgehammer, stood erect, and his face brightened as he waved, towards the site and exclaimed, I'm building a great cathedral. You see, all of these three men had the same job, but only the third man had the vision to make his job actually meaningful and put his heart into it. Now think about this. If someone were to ask you this morning, how are you serving the Lord? What would you say to them? Perhaps you would tell them that you are doing something in the church. Maybe uh, you would say, well, I teach Sunday school. That's how I'm serving the Lord. Or I'm a deacon. That's how I'm serving the Lord. Or "I, I clean up after church socials. That's how I serve the Lord. Or I greet people. That's how I'm serving the Lord. And all of those answers are good answers. There's nothing wrong with them, But I want to challenge your thoughts to be bigger. I want you to think more like this. God saved me and is using me to build his church to be active in proclaiming the gospel to the nations for the glory of God. Do you see how that vision is broader? This is how the Apostle Paul viewed himself. This is what we see in Romans chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Paul, who was an avid persecutor of the church and God, but by God's grace, God called Paul as an apostle to help lay the church's foundation as we know it, which is the church that Christ promised that he would build. And God was using Paul to take the gospel to the nations for God's glory. And while none of us are Are uh, called to be an apostle in the same way that Paul was called to be an apostle the principles are still the same we are saved by God's grace for God's service to proclaim the gospel to the nations for God's glory and this means that whatever we're doing in service to the Lord should be viewed through that lens of glorifying his name By proclaiming the power of the gospel to all people groups. I know you might be thinking, well, I'm not called to be a missionary. And that may or may not be true. But I believe as we actually broaden our vision as Paul writes to bring about the obedience of faith in others for the glory of Christ. There are so many ways that we can help this vision to be accomplished. Let me give you. An example. Sometimes people will say, Well, what can I do? Well, you can pray. You can pray for groups all around the world. The truth is that there still may be as many as two billion people, billion with a B, who have never heard the gospel. So pray the gospel gets taken to the ends of the earth. We can give. We can give from what the Lord has provided for us to help support missionaries. We can also do all we can to lead boys and girls and men and women to Jesus Christ and then disciple them with a vision to take the gospel to the nations. We can think, oh, I'm just doing a Monday job in the church. That's just, It's just, you know, it's what anybody can do. But there is no mundane job. If it's building the church and the church's focus is on proclaiming the gospel to the nations, then you are part of the effort of advancing God's kingdom. So with that said, I would like to ask you to please stand out of respect for God's word as we read Romans chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Romans chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, where we read, Through whom? We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God. Called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, take this word this morning. and Penetrate our hearts. Teach us from your word that we would be a people that are proclaiming the gospel of God to the nations for the glory of God. May that be our heart's cry. Speak for your saints are listening. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. You can be seated. In these verses Paul lays out for us five principles. That are dealing with salvation and service. My prayer is that we realize that we're not saved to sit, soak, and sour. Nor are we saved to sit around and be happy and have a happy family. For the believer, true happiness should come by seeing the gospel advance to the nations that is the means to bringing God's glory and so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ through salvation then God wants to use you in some capacity to take the gospel to the nations the first thing I want us to see is this that we are saved by God's grace for his service we are saved by God's grace for his service if we look at verse 5 we notice that Paul says, "Through whom we have received grace." Now, God's grace has come to Paul, and and uh, we get to say from what Paul will later write in this letter that grace has come to us through the obedience and death of Jesus Christ. Grace is one of Paul's favorite words. He uses it one hundred times out of the one hundred and fifty-five times that it's used in the New Testament. He uses the word grace twenty-four times in the book of Romans alone, more than any other book in the New Testament. Grace is a powerful concept because grace can't be earned. It can only be received. There is no grace for any sinner apart from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Grace comes from God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We don't have a right to it. No one has a right to grace. And we receive it freely, not because of our obedience, but because of the obedience of Jesus Christ. It really is quite scandalous. Think about it. We come to God as these sinners that deserve the wrath of God. And instead of receiving wrath, we received undeserved favor by the death of his son, Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty that we deserve. Let me ask you, have you received that grace? That grace that I'm talking about? Have you come to God as this guilty sinner only to receive grace from God? That's where we all must start because there is no service to God until we receive the grace of God. Now here's the thing. So often that uh, we think that grace is part of the salvation experience right that we get grace when we're saved and then grace stops but that's not the case because grace also enables us to carry out god's will in various ministries god sovereignly bestows grace on us giving us various spiritual gifts think about it did 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 the apostle paul volunteer to be an apostle did he volunteer to go to the gentiles I mean, show me in the scripture where we see Paul volunteering to, to be an apostle and, and saying, hey, I'll be the guy that goes to the Gentiles. It's not there. God appointed Paul, right? The, the word apostle means sent one in the New Testament. It refers to the 12 and Paul in a narrow sense because they had seen the risen Lord perform uh, miracles and they laid the foundation of the church. These apostles were given special authority over the churches. When those men died, there were no successors having apostolic authority. Their authority is passed on to us in the New Testament. We can see in the scriptures that the word apostle was applied to Barnabas, to James, the brother of Jesus, possibly to Silas, Andronicus, and Junius. They were workers that were sent out by the church to do ministry. So in a limited sense, missionaries are sent ones, even though the actual gift of apostleship has ended. And what I want us to understand is that there is nothing in our life that can be lived out apart from the enabling grace of God. Nothing. Whatever you're called to do, you can say, I am what I am by the grace of God. God has saved you and he's given you a spiritual gift to be used to advance God's kingdom. There are no bench warmers in the body of Christ. Secondly, I want us to see this. We are saved to bring about the obedience of faith in others. We are saved to bring about the obedience of faith in others. Paul continues and says this, to bring about the obedience of faith. God gives us these gifts of grace so that, we, so that they will be used to bring others to obedience of faith. What I believe Paul is saying here is that our obedience always involves faith, and faith always involves obedience. We see that Paul repeatedly called people to faith that was inseparable from their obedience, and our Lord makes it clear that we can't have an obedience that's divorced from our faith. One can only obey Jesus as Lord if they have given themselves to Jesus in faith. And so genuine faith is obedient faith, and obedience stems from genuine faith. This is why Paul links faith and obedience together. It, they're, they're, they're the same same thing. They, they come together. Two things. First, This is why when we are sharing the Gospel with people, we must make it clear that the call is to trust Christ as Savior and Lord. There is no option to believe Christ as Savior and then continue to be disobedient to Him. That option is nowhere in Scripture. Secondly, if we're going to call other people to the obedience of faith, then we should also live in obedience to Christ. In other words, we have to practice what we preach. And if you're not living in obedience to Christ, then it's probably not a good idea to go out and share the gospel. Because what happens is your life sends a confusing message to this person. And we, we see that often. When I was a student pastor, and and even as a pastor sometimes, I I saw where a boyfriend and girlfriend would be sleeping together. But one of them was a believer, right? And they're trying to witness to the other so that they get married, they have a Christian marriage. And it doesn't work that way. It never works out that way. The best thing to do is repent and get get right with God and break off the relationship. And in fact, that's what I tell people to do. I, I was real popular. That's all to do that, right? You need to just stop messing around and break off the relationship. That person's not saved. And you're not going to bring them to Christ by sinning. We must have a witness for Christ that stems from our obedience to Christ. And so we're saved to bring about the obedience of faith in others. Thirdly, I want us to notice this we are saved. To proclaim the gospel to the nations. Some of your translations may say, for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles. It's not that Paul never preached to the Jews, because Paul did preach to the Jews. However, when the Jews rejected the message, he would then devote himself to preaching to the Gentiles. Paul's focus was all the Gentiles, not some of them. Paul didn't find rest in knowing that some of the Gentiles had not heard the good news. He wanted all Gentiles to hear the good news. Who were these Gentiles? Who were the Gentiles that Paul was preaching to? Well, Paul uh, graciously gives us a glimpse of who these Gentiles were that he was preaching to in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11, through when he says this, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Listen, it's the power of God that brings salvation to the lowest of lows. Aren't you thankful for that? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The Jew first and also to the Greek, Romans 1.16 tells us. Don't you see that as great news? It doesn't matter how much of a pagan your family member is. It doesn't matter how much of a pagan your neighbor or your co-worker or your student may be. No matter how horrific their sin may seem, no matter what is enslaving them, God has the power to break the chains of sin and to make them a new creature in Christ Jesus. There's only one thing that does that. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And so we must be faithful to take the gospel to those that are around us. No matter how pagan we think they are. No matter if we sit there and go, there's no way that this person will ever come to know Christ. Doesn't matter. I can remember one time uh, when I lived in, in uh, uh outside of Reading, Pennsylvania, and we were down on the street. I used to take my teens down on the street, and we would go out and do street evangelism. I don't know if you've ever done this, but we'd go out there, and we'd share the gospel with anybody out on the street. We'd just stop them, and we'd share the gospel with them. And there was two guys sitting there on a bench. They were obvious gang members. Everybody knew they were gang members, and I feel the Lord saying, you go share the gospel with those two gang members. I'm like, I am no way. I'm not doing that. There's no way they're beyond God's grace. But I did. And they sat there and they listened to every word I said. I wish I could say that they received Christ right then and there. But that didn't happen. I got to that part. I said, are you ready to pray and receive Christ as your Savior? And they said, not here. gospel because we are to be workers who will go to even foreign cultures who will break across cultural barriers we do this through prayer, through teaching through giving and other practical ways so that the gospel will go to every tribe every tongue every people and every nation we are saved by God's grace to bring about the obedience of faith in others, to see the gospel brought to the nations. But why? Why? Why all this? Why do we want to see the gospel brought to the nations? Why do we do this? What is the whole point of this? And that's why we have point number four. We are saved to bring glory to the name of Christ. We are saved to bring glory to the name of to the name of Christ. Paul says this for the sake of his name. His ultimate goal in all that God does is that the name that his name would be known and praised and glorified above everything else. Now, it is because who Jesus is as the eternal son of God, who took on human flesh as a descendant of David, according to God's promises found in the Old Testament, who offered himself on the cross as our substitute, who was raised from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God in exaltation. This is why Paul endured the beatings. This is why Paul uh, went through the attempts that that were on his life as people tried to kill him. This is why Paul went through all of the hardships and much more. To take the gospel to the Gentiles. The end goal of Paul and what should be the end goal of each and every one of us who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, would be that he would be glorified above all else. And that rebellious sinners would be redeemed. That's the end game. The one who gives the power to take the gospel in the first place is the one which enables our obedience, who is the one who gets the glory. You see that God gets the glory for our service. God gets the glory for what we do. God gets the glory for our faith. God gets the glory for everything. All of this must be in the forefront of our minds as we serve the Lord. You know, i found it so easy to fall into this trap of personal fulfillment. Because, let's face it, doesn't serving people make you feel good? It does me. I love it when I help people. It makes me feel good. We like to help other people. Serving feeds our pride, right? Especially when other people People say good things about us. It serves our pride. They're like, oh, you're so wonderful. And you're like, yes, I know. I am so great. Right? It serves our pride. And then, invariably, what happens? Someone criticizes you because you didn't meet their expectations of you. Or you neglect something that, that they felt you should do and you neglected. Or you do something and you receive no thank you. Nobody ever thanks you. And our feelings get hurt, right? Because, because we're doing it for the wrong reason. I've done this, right? I know what it's like to be the last person left and everybody's gone and still have to clean stuff up. And, and get stuff ready and sit around there and mumble about it. and ugh, Nobody even stayed around to help. Instead of just having joy that I get to serve the Lord, you ever done that? Your pride gets hurt. You receive no thank you. Suddenly all that pride gets deflated. And you know what happens? Our true motives get exposed. Because we can't serve for our glory. Church, we can. You don't serve for your glory. The minute I stand in this pulpit and it's about my glory, that's sin in my heart. We serve for his glory. And listen, I know that if you serve Christ, you're going to be criticized. It's going to happen. You're going to do many, many, many things that no one will ever notice. They're never going to notice it. They're never going to thank you for it. You're going to help someone out, right? In and, and hopes that, that, that maybe they're going to come to church or maybe something and nothing's going to happen. I've invested countless of hours into people never to see them show up at church, never to see them do anything but go to another church. People will attack your motives and why you're doing certain things. They will, they will come after your character and they'll slander you. And I've been asked before by people, well, why do you keep serving? Why do you keep doing this? Why do we do it? Why why keep on going when people treat you so wrong? For his glory. For his name's sake, not mine. Not your name's sake, his name's sake. Lastly, notice this. We are saved because of God's call and love. We are saved because of God's call and love. The focus of verses 1 through 7 is not on what we do for God. The focus is entirely on what God has already done for us. The entire basis for any service that we render for Christ is that God has effectually called us to belong to Christ. He has set his love on us, and he has set us apart for himself Giving us grace and peace. The emphasis is not on what we do, but on what has already been done for us and to us. So first, notice this under we are saved because of God's call and love. First, we are called to belong to Jesus. We are called to belong to Jesus. Paul says, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. Here's what we must understand called in the New Testament epistles always, always refers to God's effectual call to salvation. That's not, that's not an invitation. But it is the powerful, irresistible reach out of God in grace to bring people into his kingdom, as Douglas puts it. Paul, Paul makes this clear right? In Romans chapter 8, verse 30, when he says this, only those whom he predestined, he, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The entire chain of salvation is God's doing. He predestined, and he called, and he called those and justified them. And those he justified, he glorifies. It's all about God. Why? So, we can't boast. So, we can't say, Look what I did. We don't get to boast on what we've done. We can only boast on what the Lord has done. And why is that important? Well, because God's word is clear that the human heart is corrupt, it's hard, it's rebellious, and it's totally blind, and it's spiritually dead. The only thing That our self-reliance can get us is more death and the only thing that saves us is a divine supernatural and powerful call from God but here's the thing God is not obliged to call everyone nor is God obliged to call anyone If God calls anyone, it's by his grace. And we don't like that much, right? Because we live, we live in America, democratic America. We think everyone should have the same call. But rebellious human sinners have no rights in relation to God. All of God's condemnation is just and right, and all of God's salvation is by grace. This is why Paul will later tell us in Romans chapter 9, verse 16, when he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God calls us as an act of his compassion towards some sinners. And this call is given to some, not to all, which is established in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, which we just looked at. Now, some will say, then why do you preach the gospel to everyone if only some are called? Well, because we don't know who is called. We know that he scattered his people worldwide. Paul would go into a city and he would call everyone to repentance. That's a universal call, calling everyone to repentance. It's what we do when we preach the gospel. We call everyone to repentance. That's not what Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 1. What Paul is talking about here is a call that actually accomplishes what it sets out to do. The gospel is an offer to everyone, right? We offer the gospel to everyone. That whosoever sees Christ's glory and is drawn to it and receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior will be saved. Everyone who hears the gospel and believes on faith alone will be justified by God. Everyone. Not some, everyone who believes on faith alone will be justified. But why do some believe and some don't? Paul preached to all people. To all nations. The gospel call goes out to everyone. Yet to the Jews they view the crucified Lord as a stumbling block and they reject it. While others view it as foolishness and reject it. Why? Why? Because they're not called. Paul explains this. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1 23 and 24. You see, the effectual call wakens the dead, it gives sight to the blind. It opens the ears of the deaf. It humbles the proud. It softens the hard heart. It brings forth faith. Those he calls, he justifies. The effectual call makes Christ irresistibly attractive so that they will willingly and freely believe this is what happens to us. We saw the glory of God one day and we called on him and he saved us. We must know who we are and thank God for it. And we must preach Christ to all and love all and trust that God knows exactly what he is doing and will effectually call some. We're not God. God is God. We preach to all knowing that he will call some. Not only are we effectually called to belong to Jesus, but we are loved by God. We're loved by God. Paul writes this, right? To those who are loved by God. Now again, you might be thinking, well, isn't everyone loved by God? The answer is yes. Everyone is loved by God, but he has a special love for his chosen bride. You say, well, That doesn't seem right. Yeah, it seems exactly right. You know what? I love other Christian women as my sisters in Christ. But I do not love them as my bride. Otherwise, I'm going to have some problems. I have a special love for my bride. Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. That's why Paul says to all of those who are in Rome and who are loved by God and called to be saints. This is speaking of God's special love for his bride. I don't believe that God wants Christians to think God says he loves me because God loves everyone exactly the same. And since I'm everyone, then I'm I'm loved just like everyone else. That's not what Paul means. Paul means a special love, a love that's different than the love for everyone. This does not make God any less loving. God holds out love for the whole world, but he chooses his bride. Those that are called by Jesus and he loves her, which is, which is you and I with a special, precious, covenant love. The very foundation of everything that we do for Christ is that he loves me and he gave himself for me. One last thing concerning this love. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, Paul asks a question, right? We're familiar with it. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? We love that verse. It brings such great comfort to so many Christians as it should. Paul's asking, is there any way that this new covenant... That's sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Is there any way that that covenant can be broken? That's the question that Paul's asking. Will tribulation break it? Will distress break it? Will persecution break it? Will famine break it? Will nakedness? Will peril? Will sword? What's going to separate us from this love that Christ has for us? What can do it? What's the answer? He gives the answer in verse 37. No, nothing's going to separate you. Rather, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. What is it that keeps you and I from being separated from the love of Christ? Him who loved us. The answer to the question of what can separate us from the love of God is nothing can separate us from Christ's love. The love of God keeps us from being separated from the love of Christ, and nothing can destroy it. Do you see that? It's God's love for you that keeps you from being separated from the love of Christ, and there's nothing that can destroy it. This is not some general love that God has offered to the entire world. It is not the sustaining love of God that he gives to the world when he provides for the world and even his enemies. This is the special love of God for his bride, for his chosen people. And I don't say this so that people can be arrogant. I say it for you to understand just how much God loves you. He calls you from the dead into life. He sustains you by his grace, and he keeps you from falling away, and he will bring us to himself. This is what Paul means when he says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God. He didn't mean all of Rome. He meant all those in Rome who are loved by God. This is what God means when he says to you, Christian, that you are called of Jesus Christ. You are loved by God. You are my loved one. Once. I have chosen you for my own. I've bought you with the blood of my one and only Son, Jesus Christ. I have called you. I have justified you. I will keep you. I will work in you that which is pleasing in my sight and there is absolutely nothing on the face of this earth or outside of this earth or in the known and unknown universe that can cause me not to love you because I love you with an everlasting love and you are mine and you are mine. Beloved, oh, you understand the love of God? Oh, that our hearts would melt because I can't fathom why God would love me like that. Why he would call me like that. Why he would say there's nothing on the face of this earth it's going to keep me from loving you. Lastly, notice this. We're called to receive grace and peace. We're called to receive grace and peace. Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's actually a greeting, but it goes beyond that. It stems from the priestly blessing that's found in Numbers 6 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It also uses the typical Greek greeting with the Hebrew shalom, which is peace. The two words sum up the gospel. Grace is the cause. Peace is the effect. Since we are now saved by the grace of God, we now have the peace of God through Jesus Christ. Our new standing with God is as recipients of God's grace. And peace is the very basis on which we take his good news to the evil world in which we live, carrying it to the nations. We proclaim the gospel of God to the nations for the glory of God. Here's the only question. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? I recently read a story. Several centuries ago in a mountain village in Europe, a nobleman wondered what legacy he should leave to his townspeople. He finally decided to build them a church. No one saw the complete plans until the church was finished. And when they gathered inside, they marveled at its beauty and its craftsmanship. But then someone asked, where are the lamps? How will it be lighted? and nobleman, nobleman pointed to some brackets on the walls, and then he gave each family a lamp, which they were to bring with them each time they came to worship. He explained, each time you are here, the area where you are seated will be lighted. Each time you are absent, the area will be dark. This is to remind you that whenever you fail to come to church, some part of God's house will be I pray that God grant to you to know his love, as I've talked about today, and as seen in these verses. I pray that you would indeed grasp it, and you would savor it, and you would rest in it, and that you would feel the freedom that it gives you to take huge risks for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would spend the rest of your life telling everyone you know about this great love that the Father has. And if you do not know this love yet, I pray that you would receive it. And perhaps even right now, God is speaking to your heart, revealing the beauty of his truth of a Christ, of Jesus Christ, who died for sinners just like you, so that everyone who believes in him might be saved. Believe in him, and I urge you to call out to him and to believe in the Son, and His Son will set you free. You can trust in Christ today. You can place your hope in him by praying something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are God's son. And that you died to forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. I turn from my sin and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. I want to live for you the rest of my life. Amen. It's not magic. It's our trust in Christ that saves us. if he called you, that prayer is simply your expression of trusting in him. If you said that prayer or something like it, I'd love to follow up with you. You can come forward. If you're online, you can text the word faith to 309-328-3488. If you don't have a smartphone, you can send just a regular text message to that, and I'll be able to respond. And those of you that know Christ... My challenge is that you would carry the life of the gospel outside of the church into a dark orbit. He saved you by grace to be a part of building his church among the nations so that in whatever you do to serve Christ, you do it all knowing his great love for you and your great purpose is for his kingdom and to bring... Him, glory. And if you would reflect on your life this morning, and you'd say, I'm not doing that. Or maybe this morning you've been overwhelmed by the love of Christ, love of God for you for the first time. Maybe God has spoken to you in some way, shape, or form, which I don't know. And you want prayer. I'll be standing down front be glad to pray with you I'd be glad to talk with you you can wait till after the service if you'd rather do that I'd be glad to have a conversation let's close of prayer father thank you for this word the word is faithful and true and speaks such precious promises to our hearts and to our lives Lord, I pray that we truly understand our salvation. That we are saved by God's grace for his service. That we are saved to bring about the obedience of faith in other people. That we are saved to proclaim the gospel to the nations. That we're saved to bring the glory, bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. That we are saved because of God's call and because of his love. Oh Lord. Pray that we've been not just affected by your love, but, God, that we've been infected by your love. That We would truly ask ourselves, why? Why would you love me? That we truly see you, God, for who you are see ourselves for who we are and we cry out like Isaiah I am a man of unclean lips oh that you would love me in such a profound way you convict us to share that love with others some might be saved speak to us in these moments Give us the courage to respond if we need to. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, you come.